Welcome to the media ministry of Crossroads Church Aspen. To learn more about Crossroads, visit our website at ccaspen.com. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor Steve Woodrow. If you are just joining with us, we have been in a series uh, on the end times as such, but we're moving through very slowly the book of Revelation. We're in chapter 2 this morning. We're going to pick up uh, in chapter 2. Uh, to the to the letter to uh, the church in Thyatira, and we're going to pick up. I'm only going to look kind of uh, start in verses 26 through 29 this morning. Then we're going to bounce out, and do something a little different this morning. And uh, we start in, in Matthew 24, which is the Olivet Discourse that Jesus talked uh, about the end times when the disciples asked, what's going to happen? And we move from there right into the book of, of Revelation. What I'm doing this morning is a little different. So if you're visiting, this isn't quite as normal. You're going to get a uh, kind of a, a fire hose of information. Most of the time we kind of drill into the, the passage and kind of look exegetically at it. This morning we're going to do kind of a systematic theology because this is important for us to understand Revelation, for us to get into the language and everything that's going on in this book. We're going to need to really shore up our spiritual worldview to make sure that we have a biblical worldview and that we have a spiritual worldview of how we look at things. Now, what I'm going to talk about this morning, um, you should have learned this in Sunday school, but I'm willing to bet no one did. Um, and uh, what I, I hope, what I think you'll see is that we, uh, just how westernized and materialistic we really are in our worldview. And it radically impacts how we read the scripture, how we take the promises of scripture, and how we go, how we look at spiritual gifts, how we look at all these things. There's, it's a huge impact. And uh, so I'm going to just roll out uh, uh, several verses. You can write these. Uh, I, I hope you'll take some notes and wrestle with it. Please engage us if you have questions. I promise you, you're going to have questions uh, this morning. Uh, the outpost tonight, we meet every Sunday night right here, 6 p.m. to about 7, 15, 7.30. And uh, for a simple time of corporate prayer and worship, and we will dive into the Word of God. I'm teaching tonight, and we'll come back because I have a feeling we're going to, and we'll just, uh, we'll, we, uh, we just have some discussion about this text, what we talk about um, on Sunday nights. So um, what I'm going to teach you this morning, this is not new. It's not like I'm giving you something new, a new revelation. This has been around. This teaching, these ideas of, is nothing new under the sun. They've been taught and, and other places, and, and uh, it's nothing new at all. But what is important for me to teach this is to show you from Genesis, we're going to go from Genesis to Revelation, uh, when we take this look at the spiritual realm and a biblical worldview. Uh, it's important that you understand that these things are rooted in Scripture, that you'll see when we get into this just how many verses, how many concepts of angels, of demons, of, of nations, and, and all of these things, how it works together. There'll be verses that we've just glazed over in the past that come alive. So we're going to have to have this knowledge uh, as we get in to really understand the book of Revelation further. All of this, folks, is centered on this idea, are we ready? When Jesus came preaching, especially in Matthew 24, he repeatedly said, right, to those who were listening, um, I've given you these things, Jesus said, so you know ahead of time, right, how to respond. And, uh, and that's this idea of, are we ready? Are we ready when things start to unfold? Are we ready for Jesus to return? Are we ready to be the people, the church that Christ has called us to be, especially in this day and hour uh, that we're in? 
And uh, those are some big lofty questions. So all that introductory, let's dive in. Um, I'm going to just start with a big question. What is God's ultimate purpose for you? How would you answer that? Off the cuff. What is God's ultimate purpose for you? Now, if we had time to really bat this around, is just the very nature of how that question settles shows that we've got a lot of work to do, right? Now, if you've been in the church and you've grown up and you were at all um, taught the Westminster Catechism, you would know, right, the simple answer. Does anybody know that? The chief end of man is to... Yeah, we have some Presbyterians in here. Uh, which is great. But then I want to ask, okay, it's to achieve in a minute is to glorify God, right? Enjoy Him, right? Delight in Him forever and ever. And, uh, but what does that mean? What does it mean to glorify God? Have we really drilled into that? What does it mean to glorify God? Has anybody ever broken that down for you? Do you live under that? Of honing in what God's ultimate purpose for your life is? And are you preparing? Are you ready for that? Are you working towards that? Is that incorporated into your vocation? How you see life? How you raise your family? What your goals are? How you spend your money? On and on and on. Um, is, there, is there a wholeness to all that? And do you live daily understanding what it is to bring glory to God? And I think most of us, we would say, well, it's, it's to honor him, to obey him, to, sure, pray to him, yes. I mean, we could go down the list, to carry out his mission, share Jesus, yes, yes. All these things bring him glory, but um, our chief end is to glorify God. The problem is that many times we dis, we, there's no connection between what I do here and what I'll be doing there in the new heaven and the new earth. This is why we have a chasm between what happens right here and then when you leave here and you wake up in the morning and you go to work on Monday, for many Christians in America, that chasm is massive. You heard all this stuff on Sunday at church, but now you're at work and you're, you, you completely compartmentalize you know, the two. They're completely separate in many ways. And it should never be that way for a follower of Christ. There should be this radical integration. So what if... What if in the Bible that this great purpose that God has is, what if God desires for you to reign over nations one day? What if God has for you to actually judge angels one day? Now that changes the topic, doesn't it? Kind of changes the whole, what if this stewardship of glorifying God in this life is actually training ground, right, for what is to come later? It's not just, you know, being saved and, and with the assurance that, oh, I'm going to, when I die, I'm going to go to heaven and it's going to be some kind of eternal kumbaya in the clouds type of experience. Do you realize that we have more scriptures? Jesus gives us more detail about the end times and about what we should be focused on than about any other topic in the Bible. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Old Testament talks about the kingdom to come, about the day of the Lord and everything in the New Testament. This is not some just small little kind of, you, know, uh, you know, little side teaching. It's, prim- pri- it's priority. 
of what Jesus expects his church to be ready, the bridegroom, ready for the return of the bride. Come, as we're going to see it towards the end of Revelation, there should be this welling up of, come, Lord Jesus, come, right? Is that his people are kingdom people, set their eyes on the kingdom of, of God. And understanding that our purpose is so much bigger than what we've been taught, than what we've been discipled, than what we ever, ever thought. And to realize that my life here is a stewardship. What I'm doing with the talents, the minas, the things that God has given me is training ground for reigning. It's training for reigning. And um, so I want to just dive in on this, break this stuff down. It's key for us to get some handles when we get into Revelation that we just don't get overwhelmed, though this is going to overwhelm you, I promise. Um, As I said, this is not new teaching. It's just that in America, we are more westernized and materialized, if I can use that word, than we would ever imagine. And I'm just going to prove it here this morning. Um, is that when you're saved, when I'm saved, the Holy Spirit comes into your soul. And you know what it does? It awakens your spirit. Because your spirit, my spirit, were dead to God. Is that I was dead to God. Right? My soul was alive, but I, I had no, I, I, I was dead to him. And the Spirit comes in, awakens my soul in the fellowship with the Holy Spirit and my spirit. And I come alive. I'm born again, right? And my eyes are open to see afresh anew the spiritual realm as God would have me see it. But the problem in America is we talk about salvation and it's just almost kind of intellectual teaching about what I believe, my statement of faith or what the church believes and this idea of being led into the spiritual life, being led into what it means to walk with the Spirit of God, what it means to be filled with the Spirit of God, what it means to be a spirit person, a redeemed person who operates, as Ephesians tells us, with all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms is a whole nother thing, right, to understand this realm that we are to live in. And um, uh, again, as as I said before, I think that uh, what's important is not that we, and this happens to all of us and throughout the history of the churches, we bring our context of knowledge bias into the scripture, our background, our worldview, and we impose it as we read the scripture. To do good Bible study means if I'm reading the Old Testament, I need to get into the mind of ancient Israelites. How did, what did they believe about the world and how was God's word written to them? If I try to bring a modern Western mentality and to understand the Old Testament, I will never get it. You know what? I will water it down to a bunch of principles, good little tips for life. Sound familiar? That's the majority of American teaching, bottom line, is here a little happy, little devotional, little help for your finances, a little help for your marriage, a little help for this and that. That's what we've done to the gospel, and and it's because of our worldview. You come to the New Testament, you need to understand, to have a proper understanding of the Word of God. What, when Jesus was teaching them, what kind of worldview was Jesus living in, and was he teaching these people? Uh, We have to set aside our worldview and make sure part of spiritual growth is, do I have a biblical worldview? By the way, Barna just came out last week with new stats, less than, uh, what is it, less than 6% of Christian people in America, I think about 150 million people who say they're Christian in America, which shocked me actually, Um, but less than 6% have anything close to a biblical worldview. 70% don't believe in Satan, a real devil. 60-something percent don't even believe in the reality of the Holy Spirit. That defines where the church in America is at today, right? And uh, so we need to make sure, okay, Lord, how are we seeing your word? Do we have the handles to receive your word? 
into our heart and understand it in its fullest. So that's where we're going this morning, this idea of training um, in reigning and to understand this spiritual realm. So I'm going to be in Revelation 2. So I'm just going to pick up where we left off. Um, We talked about the letter to Thyatira last week. And I just want to pick up verse 26 to get us started, okay? So Jesus ends this after kind of having, you know, laying out this woman Jezebel, all this stuff we talked about last week that he had against the church, is that, or this specific church, is now he goes, verse 26, says, the one who conquers... Remember, this is to the church, right? We end this. He who has ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church, right? He says this, The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he will rule, speaking about those who conquer his children. He will rule them with a rod of iron and when earthen pots are broken in pieces as when earthen pot and Pots are broken in pieces. Even as I myself, Jesus says, have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Again, just to even understand that last statement that's a part of each one of these letters that ends. He who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Intellect, smarts, being in Sunday school your entire life or church ain't going to hack it. The question is, do you know the fellowship of the Holy Spirit? Are you a spirit person? Is the Spirit of God alive in in your heart? And are we bringing a dependence on Him to have proper understanding? And am I learning to live in the things of the Holy Spirit, right? So this is pretty awesome, right? In the sense of Jesus tells His children, those who conquer, it says that He will give authority to rule the nations. Whoa. Do you think about that? Do you think about your ultimate purpose? Do you think that you're in training right now for your stewardship that Jesus will give you for all eternity in the new heaven and new earth? Jesus' ultimate purpose, besides obviously being one with God, the Father, and the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 1 tells it is to unite all things in heaven and on earth together. That's what he's been about. That's what God has been about in all history, uniting heaven and earth together. And that's where we're headed in this revelation is God. And for heaven to come down and again dwell in unity here on earth, right? This earth is going to need some work, right? And we're in the process of the church age. The church is to be the light of the kingdom of God and get the message out to all nations. That's the Great Commission. Again, to all nations that they might what? Um, see Jesus as Lord and Savior before he returns with judgment to make all things right. Right? And then he says this. He says, and I'll give him the morning star. In Revelation 22, Jesus defines himself as the bright morning star. So what does us all, what does he say to you? Those of you who conquer, what does he, he mean by? He'll give you the bright morning star. That's who he is. The bright morning star is the star that shows up at the darkest time of the early morning. And so what Jesus is saying to his church and to his followers is, is if you endure, if you hang on through the darkest of the night, is my star, I'm giving you the bright morning star, is that you will share with me in my messianic kingdom. You will share with me in the rule of the new heaven and the new earth that I'm ushering in, right? All right, so let's break this down. It's like, well, whoa, wait a minute. Is this, is it, do we, what do we mean by all this? Do we see this in the rest of scripture? This idea that, hey, I'm, uh, that we're to see life and our purpose here is training for reigning. And, and this idea of, is God preparing us to rule and reign? Is he looking for faithful stewards now who know how to steward 
by the things of the Spirit and the things of the kingdom of God now who are going to be faithful to be able to rule then. Right? And this is all through the entire Bible. And so let me just tie it together for us so, again, that we can have some handles to understand the spiritual realm right before we get into the book of Revelation. If we don't, then the Revelation is going to be this, wow, it's going to really just send us spinning, um, which it will do a little anyway, <laughs> right? I just encourage you, gang, dive in. If this is scary to you, I want to just give this admonition. Press in. Ask others. Let's dialogue together. Let's get into some discipleship and go into this stuff and wrestle with it. With the text, um, it shouldn't be scary, though it's overwhelming, right? We need to get in and learn, right? And, and to study and have others teach us and walk us through this. What does this mean personally, right? For our life and our purpose, right? That, that God has given us. We hear over and over and over again today, safety, safety, safety. But you know what Jesus says? Write down Matthew 10, 28. Jesus says this. These are his words. Do not fear the one who can kill the body. Don't fear anything that can kill your body. Fear the one who not only can cure your body, but can kill your soul and cast it to hell. That's Jesus' words. That's some sobering words, isn't it? And what's happening today with everything going on, the question is, wow, what is going to, where's the, what's going to get a hold of us, fear or faith, right? Right? And um, the safest place to be on earth is to know whose you are. And John 10 says this. He says, those who are my children, he says, they're in my hands and in my father's hands and no one can snatch them out of my hands. No matter how bad it gets, no matter what is going on, no matter how confusing it's going to get, and it's getting confusing, is that assurance to know I am in the Lord's. He's redeemed me as we sung. I'm his, and no no matter what somebody does to me, no matter what some disease does to me, no matter what, going down the list is I'm his. And my real life is yet to come. And the blessings of what is is yet to come is what Paul say? To live is Christ, to die is gain. Is that how we've been taught? Is that the prevalent thinking in the American church? To live is Christ, die is gain. We talk about it. The question of whether we live that perspective is again, is that we struggle with that because we're missing out largely on this real understanding of the realm that we actually live in today. All right, y'all ready? Here we go. We're going to dive in. Here's, uh, oh, I already read that. Um, So I just want to give you another, here's Revelation 5, and uh, this is the heavenly worship that goes up. Uh, all through Revelation, you'll find these, these, the same line. Let me read this for us. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll to open it. Speaking of Jesus and its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you've ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. That's your inheritance. That you will reign on earth. What you're doing, how you're living, how you're stewarding what you have right now is training for reigning. Now that kind of blows things up, doesn't it? Kind of a bigger picture, right? And, um, and I just give that one. There's many you, you could go to. Uh, this is all through the New Testament, all through the prophetic uh, books of the Old Testament of understanding this idea that he is preparing us to reign, right, in the new heavens and new earth. 
and to help redeem and restore the nations to bring glory to God. And so when it says our chief end is to glorify God, well, guess what? For all eternity, we will be redeeming, overseeing, ruling this new heaven and earth and bringing, as we'll get to in Revelation, bringing the glory of the nations to bring glory to God. There'll be work, there'll be creativity, it will be beyond your wildest imagination. But this is training for reigning right now, right? Okay, how about this one? I'm willing to bet that this passage, you've kind of flown over most of your life, but this is Paul to the church in Corinth, okay? He says this, um, speaking of the church, says, when one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? He's getting on, he's reprimanding the church. It's like, wait a minute, you're to be the church, you're the family of God. Is We're to keep unity, we're to work things out right here, not bounce out to the world. And there's no place to take each other to court. It needs to happen here. There needs to be, right, by the, by the grace of God. And uh, verse 2, he says, Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? There it is again. Don't you know, church? You will judge the world. And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? It's like, Wait a minute, this is training ground. If you can't handle unity and working out the problems within the body of Christ, how are you going to judge nations in the new heaven and new earth? That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. But it gets gets wilder, doesn't it? Look at verse 3. Do you not know that we are to judge angels, spiritual beings, as part of this process? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? Whoa. How about that? Just skim over that one in the, in the past, right? Now, I'm, I'm, I'm just giving you just a little taste, right? We're going to move to Genesis and come on through to try, hopefully kind of tie some of all this together. All right, so I'm going to go to Genesis 6 now. <clears throat> and um, back to the beginning. Adam and Eve obviously were created. They fell and, uh, by the temptation of, of Satan and cast out of the Garden of Eden because God's purpose for them was what? To take dominion, spread this glorious goodness of the garden out to the rest of the world. Take dominion and bring me glory. And walked in harmony with God. God's restoring that in the new heaven and earth. Except the new heaven and earth is going to even be better than Eden. And we'll get to that in, when we move into Revelation, right? Well, what we see in just a few chapters is that the wickedness of man, sin, indwelling sin and everything else was quickly um, took over. And Genesis 6 gives us a little, a little taste of this. And um, so let me read this for us. When man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God, that's b'nai ahelohim, which is angels, the sons of God, saw that the daughters of man, the daughters of Adam, were attractive. And they took as their wives any they chose. And then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years, part of the judgment of the flood. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterwards when the sons of God, angels, came to the daughters of man, daughters of Adam, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown, the Nephilim, a corrupt race. 
The enemy is always about corrupting the things of God. You, we've been made in the image of God. Angels were not. Jesus clearly teaches that in the new heaven and new earth, there is no marriage, there is no procreation. Angels have never been able to marry. They've never been able to procreate. They saw what God created, and 1 Peter tells us they long to look into the things of salvation, what God is doing for his children, right? And... Um, and so they've all, all along, they're, they're corrupt. And so what happens here, yes, is, and remember, all through uh, the Bible, angels, when they come and present themselves, they come in human form, always. That's why Hebrews tells us what? Watch out when you're entertaining strangers and entertain them well, because you might, you might entertain an angel. It's Hebrews 13. Think about hospitality. In this culture, not in our culture that has basically walled off fences and very little hospitality anymore. But this culture was you honor the stranger at your table. And why you do that is because you never know. You might be hosting an angel. Now, what an expectation. Tell me, in the American church, is there even any clue to that understanding of that being in tune with the spiritual realm of what is going on? Sees how much our education and our worldview has kept us from experiencing what God has created for us to take hold of, right? Now, you might you look at this and you might go, wow, Steve, that is crazy. Uh, uh, you know, by the way, you might, if you're here and you grew up, maybe you were taught that the sons of God here was the line of Seth. And some, to get rid of the supernatural worldview, obviously, as I said, have tried to create some kind of interpretation that, um, that keeps it very natural and, you know, explains it away. Uh, you just can't do that exegetically. And as I'm going to show you here, it, uh, it doesn't make any sense. Second Peter chapter 2 and Jude 6 through 7. Take time to go read those. Those back up this interpretation. Uh, Peter talks about the angels who fell, right? And who disembodied themselves out of their natural place and went and cohabitated with women. And that Jesus put them in, in bottomless pits for right now. Jude says roughly the, the same thing. Again, the Bible, all you have to interpret the Bible with the Bible. It all fits together beautifully wonderfully so what is happening here if you say wow steve i'm sorry but that just sounds too wacky for me to believe then you're going to have a hard time believing in the virgin birth which is orthodox belief that the holy spirit came and impregnated mary to make a perfect somebody who's perfectly god and perfectly man and you see what jesus is doing the holy spirit's doing and you see what the enemy's doing by corrupting a race? Jesus comes back and God has to come and do something powerful to redeem, right, a healthy race and to change the very core of our insides and to be a perfect redeemer and to be, as scripture says, one of us to come and save the world, right? And I don't have time to get into to all that, right? But don't, don't, don't say, if you've never heard this teaching before, don't sit there and go, ah, oh, that's just too crazy, right? Orthodox Christianity must, right? You get rid of the virgin birth, you get rid of Christianity, right? And so this is just the dark side of that story, shall we say, right? And um, so let me jump ahead here. These Nephilim were giants, and you can read about them all through the Old Testament, sons of Anak, um, Goliath, when, when the whole story of David and Goliath, it's a lot bigger story than just David killing a giant. No, David is killing off something that God commanded, right? That was a, a product of something that was in opposition to God and his line and his purposes. And we know from the scripture, right? That he had probably had four other brothers, hence the five stones, who are also giants. And we see the conquest of David, who is a picture of Christ and the Davidic kingdom, right? 
Jesus who comes, right, to reign on the throne of David, wiping out, right, the work of the enemy. Quickly, the conquest, Joshua, when he was commanded by God to go into the promised land and those tough, tough passages where God commands him to wipe out the entire village. Why? The villages that he, he tells it to wipe completely out were the ones that were corrupted by the Nephilim. There's a reason why he commanded all of that. And all of this fits together. Now, the Nephilim, this corrupt race, they cannot be redeemable because they're this corrupt race, if you want to call it that. And when they died, when these giants died, their spirits became, this is very important, demons. Demons are different than angels. This is very important to understand. And we'll, as we get into the book of Revelation, you're going to need to understand this. There's a whole level of angels. You have cherubim, seraphim around the throne of God. You've got the wild creatures. You've got the throne of elders around. You've got, in Hebrews, says the myriad and myriads of thousands upon thousands of worshiping angels. Folks, it's going to be phenomenal, right? As a matter of fact, when we worship, you know, Hebrews 12 says we enter into that worship in the heavenly realm, right? And... Um, so the, these demons are different. They are earthbound. Why does Jesus in the Gospels call these demons unclean spirits? Right here. These are spirits who are earthbound and they are bound to the earth and they are looking for, and why? This is Matthew 12. Write it down. Go look what Jesus teaches on our house here. Is that they are bound and to the earth and looking for a habitation, looking for somewhere to dwell because they are lost. And he says, talking about the wilderness and going to and fro. That's why he says, when you clean your soul out, when you clean your soul, is make sure that you fill it with the one who, that Jesus talks about, who bound the strong man and is the only one who's able to deliver anybody. Because you can clean your house. You can go through some pretty good, you know, intellectual kind of spiritual retreats. You can clean your house out. But what Jesus says, you are vulnerable to the spiritual realm. And this is why Jesus' ministry, he's the only one, the first one to come and part, just read the gospels. Primary to his ministry was casting demons out, setting people free. Setting them free to set the captives free right, from this bondage in the spiritual realm that manifests themselves in all kind of different ways. We see in the scripture, right, how some of these are. So the important thing here is just to understand, right, that that is uh, the difference between demons and angels. There's a whole nother realm, and we'll move to that now. So from here, um, we move to Genesis 11. And what happens between 6 and 11 is that... Um, after this, because of that. So we hear the, the story of the ark and the flood. It's not just because sin multiplied. It's because of utter corruption. A foreign race. And by the way, how do you think, and we're going to get to it in a minute here, but how do you think all the nations and people, all the way back to Babel, Babylon, where do you think the occult, where do you think the dark arts where do you think all the radical sexual morality, the worship of Moloch, sacrificing children, and go down the list, where do you think all that came from? You think that, that we just, you think that humans just created all that wacky stuff? It was taught to them by fallen angels. This is why Peter in the New Testament says you cannot worship and have fellowship with the den of demons. You can't continue going to the temple and eating that food and also come to the temple of God. Folks, this Bible fits together unlike you'd ever imagine. Like a, it is there for those who are hungry, who want to take it, and who want God to reveal it to them, right? 
And so he, the flood came, he wiped it out, and Noah started again and again quickly because these same forces were at. You read the story, and mankind came together as one language at the time, and they built the Tower of Babel and the Plain of Shinar and so that they could somehow reach God. That is the course of every religion in the world except Christianity. Try to build something, do something that pleases God, that reaches nirvana, that reaches heaven or something, right? It is a corrupt taught by demons and angels, right, to people. And uh, God comes down, and what does he do? The Tower of Babel. He breaks out the people into nations. Now listen to this. This is real important. This is Deuteronomy 32, 8 and 9. When the Most High God gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the people according to the number of what? The sons of God, according to the number of the angels. But the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob, Israel, is a lot of heritage. God kept Israel, the only nation for himself. He kept Israel. And who's the angel over Israel? Who's the angel over Israel? Or Daniel 10, or we could go, Michael, right? And folks, just again, well, there's so much here. I, I'm gonna take a little, but uh, think about history. God kept Israel for himself. All the nations rage, read uh, Psalm 2, against Israel and God's people. It's been the course of history. Don't go against Israel. No matter how corrupt or bad they as a nation are, they are still his apple of his eye. Right? And all the nations, and we're going to get into Revelation, you're going to have to understand, right, how all this shakes down, right? And hence, wake up with what we're doing in our own nation, right? Um, Little side note. You know, we think that we're so great, but one of the reasons why America has been great is because who our ally has been. Israel. I would ask you historically, look at any nation, any nation that's gone against Israel in the history of the world, and what's happened to that nation? It's just the course of history, right? And so what here is he divides the, these are where languages come, and he sets the Elohim little e, Elohim, sons of God, over, um, over each nation. So each nation now has sp- spiritual principalities over these nations, okay? And in these nations, because of the demonic stuff taught from the heavenly realm to mankind, is they create, why do different nations have different religions? Why do different nations have different funky, ugly, terrible stuff sometimes? Whatever it is, that's come from Babel, ultimately, all from there, right? And uh, so he set the angels over the nations. And so then we have to go to Psalm 82. I'm not going to take time right now, but Psalm 82 tells us that these angels fell like Satan. They got prideful, and they fell in power hunger, right? Um, under the, the temptation of, of Satan, and they, corru- they got corrupt in their rulership over the nations. So hence, we come to the New Testament. And what does uh, Ephesians tell us? That the prince and power of the air is Satan himself, who is the ruler of all the nations right now. When J- Satan took Jesus up on the hill and tempted him, what did he do? He says, here, just bow down and worship me, and I will give you all what? The nations of the world. Okay, is this clicking? Coming all together? So um, you say, wow, see, I don't know about all that. Um, That's kind of crazy. And and again, I just ask you, tell me, has there ever been a righteous nation anywhere in the history of the world? Has there ever been a righteous government anywhere in the world that has honored God and honored the people? No. Because there's evil forces at work. 
And I could take you to Haiti. I could take you around the world today. And wherever that government center is, it is a den of demons, darkness, and, um, and power. The kingdoms of the world ruled by the prince and power of the air. But we need little lights in all those places, right? Daniel was a light, right, in Babylon, in the midst of that, right? And that's part of our purpose, part of using your gifting and vocation to get and be a light out there in this nation, right? Wherever God has you or across the nations. Why does the Great Commission say, go make disciples of all nations, not just your city? Why has he brought it to the nations? Because God, Jesus is uniting all things in heaven and earth. He's redeeming the nations. And the church is to be the representative of the kingdom of God at work on earth right now, redeeming the nations. Because he's coming. And when he comes, it comes with judgment. Right? Before ushering in, right? The, the new kingdom. All right. So you say, oh, I don't know about all that. Go to Daniel 10. What's Daniel 10? Just read it. You know the story. Daniel's praying. Daniel is a teenager. He's, he's a light for God in evil Babylon, in the midst of evil, evil, evil. And he stands strong. He conquers. And he's praying. He's fasting for God to give him insight. And, and all of a sudden, 21 days later, what happens? Do you know the story? Who shows up? Michael. Because who, who is Daniel representing and praying for? Jerusalem and Israel. Michael shows up, the, the chief prince, right? A whole nother level of angel, right? Him and Gabriel. He shows up, and what does he tell Daniel? I would have come to you sooner, but I was delayed because of who? The prince of Persia. And I'm going to go on, he says, and I'm going to engage the prince of Greece. Folks, it all fits together until you understand and you have a worldview all that seems and maybe some of you the first time you ever heard it it was like whoa you know is that hang with us let's let's talk about this until we get a biblical worldview we will not have the handles to be able to take on much of the word of god in our lives okay hey here's my premise and i could give several things but we have done injustice teaching people about the supernatural spiritual gifts before they have a right biblical worldview the problem is this is why we have a clash. This is why we have resistance. This is why we have a problem with the spiritual gifts is because is that we're trying to talk about something that if there isn't a proper worldview, there isn't an understanding why I need those gifts. Does that make sense? And I could go on many other things, right, as well, that if we have to have the worldview that the writers had and that the Bible lives under, right, for us to really take right in, right, all of these things. So, um, here's the idea the nations are ruled by these evil fallen beings and they are under the control of, of the prince and power of the air of Satan himself and then on the earth you have the demons the fallen uh, spirits of the Nephilim who are afflicting people right and you have the church that Jesus launched to be the God's representation of the gospel of the kingdom of God who's to be a beacon of light in every nation around the world, right, to move out and to deli- help deliver people by the power of the Spirit of God, set them free into a walking, loving, saving relationship with Jesus so they too can be part of the family of God, right, as he's redeeming, right, people from each of these evil nations before he comes, and we're going to get into this in Revelation, and judges the nations. And folks, all through the Bible, is the nations are a key important part of this, of what God is doing in the nations. 
And hence we get to the end of why he's looking for his children who he's going to develop and strengthen in the new heaven who are going to judge the nations, redeem the nations for his good, for his glory, as well as what Paul told us, which we will judge those angels. All right? It's all kind of coming together a little bit. So, um, here we go. Ephesians 6.20. Again, we read this. Well, yeah, 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 I get it. You know, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Right? And folks, if we don't have a little bit of handle of what I just taught, of, of all the scripture from Genesis to Revelation, is what Paul tells the church right here is we just kind of, oh yeah, yeah, we kind of just neglect the whole realm. Do you understand that Jesus repeatedly in, in all through the New Testament says, sit your eyes on the things above, not on the things on earth. You're a heavenly people. Ephesians chapter one says, you've been blessed in the heavenly realm with every spiritual gift. You're to bring those gifts alive because you cannot engage the real ministry that we're to engage unless we have the gifts of God. Unless the spirit of God is living in us and we're living and ministering, right, as spiritual beings in this spiritual world, as it says, against, right, our war, Paul says, it's not flesh and blood, right? It's rulers. And every one of these words is relating to an evil ruler in the spiritual realm. Authorities, right, over the nations, cosmic powers over this present darkness. And this is how the New Testament writers wrote about this present time we live in. It is pr- this present darkness, until Jesus, and this is why the church should just be all about, come Lord Jesus, let's get rid of this darkness. Until then though, we're training for reigning in the sense of bringing the light of God into the dark places of life and people's lives, bringing hope and grace, right? And, and the love of God and the gospel of God is the only thing that will keep us safe. Again, it's the gospel of God, knowing that we're his and that we're redeemed, right? By him and safe, right? In his arms, Final thing here is Luke 19. Um, I don't have time to read it for us, but folks, this circles back to this idea of training for reigning. In Luke 19, 11 through 27, this is um, the parable of the minas. And this is where Jesus was asked about the end time, that the end was coming, and when was the kingdom going to come? And he gives this parable, and he talks about a king, which is him, obviously. He goes off to, to receive a kingdom, but the people didn't want his reign in their life. And he left, before he left, he, he handed out minas to 10 of his servants to keep in charge of his, uh, of his estate. He gave 10 minas, one mina to each of them. And he went off and he came back. And when he came back, he evaluated his, his servants. The first one said, Lord, look, I've got, here's 10 more minas of the one that you gave me. Well done. Well done. Faithful servant, I will set you over 10 cities. Do you see what Jesus is communicating here? The one came with, the next one says, look, I get, here I got five. Well done, servant. I'll set you over five cities. The other servant comes and says, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man. And so I kind of stood back and I hid that sucker, um, you know, un, until not knowing, you know, that you were, you were kind of you, hard. What did Jesus say to him? He said, take that mind away from him. Give it to the one that has 10. And then cast that one unfaithful servant out and then it goes on it talks about those who did not want the reign of christ in their nation in their life uh it describes jesus describes some pretty ugly stuff there nothing that we want anybody to experience right 
And folks, I, I could take us through parable after parable, whether it's the talents or the minas. The key is what we're doing now. The ultimate purpose for God in our lives is training for reigning. How he's gifted you, the mina, the talent, whatever he's given me or to you, it's, it's, it's are we learning to be stewards? Do you realize how I live now is determining my stewardship there? And Revelation is going to really flow this out in, in, in many other ways. And remember, I, and some of you might be saying, oh man, I've, I've blown it, or oh, well, gosh, or whatever. It is, is, this is the beauty of the kingdom of God is that Jesus, even in that parable, says the one who has even more will be given. And he says the last shall be first, the first shall be last. In other words, there's going to be all kinds of crazy surprises. And the other parable he tells about the kingdom, he says that, hey, he's hiring guys, he's giving him some money to go work for his kingdom, basically is the, the parable, right? And, and a guy starts at 8 o'clock in the morning, he's working where we're guy comes in at noon, I'm going to give you a, a Daenerys, come work for me, he started at noon. And another guy comes in at the final hour, just one hour in the day left, and he says, I'll pay you a Daenerys. The other guy who started at 8 o'clock goes, dude. I, I worked all day, you know, I, and, and you're giving me, a, I should get more than the guy that got a, right? Jesus, do I not, did I not hire you for a denarii? And am, am I the ruler of this whole thing? Can I not give to who I want to give? The last shall be first, the first shall be last. I say this to encourage you. It don't, doesn't matter when you start. It doesn't matter when the Lord becomes the Lord of your life, but to follow Jesus, he has to be Lord. Amen. And the process of discipleship is, he becomes more and more Lord of my life. And I learn to honor him with my minus. And if it's the final hour, do you know the glory that can come out of somebody who's broken and surrendered? It's never too late to be a faithful servant. I want to say that again. This is really important. Because what the enemy wants to do in all of our lives is say, oh man, dude, you, you, you're going to have no cities, man. You might have the dump over here because of the way you've been living or something, right? That's not how God works. He's a gracious God. And he's, remember the word of God, his word pierces to the thought and intention of the heart, right? And he wants to know the heart. And it's never too late to be a faithful servant. It's never too late to surrender Jesus and, and to give him your life and say, Lord, I, I, whatever I've done with my life, today I want to serve you. I want training for reigning. I want to live for you and for your kingdom. I want to harness my vocation, my skills, whatever. I want to bring it all under your lordship. It's never too late. And only God knows. He judges impartially. He's a gracious God, right? There's going to be radical surprises come the kingdom of God, right? Radical things because it's not mankind who's judging. It's a perfect holy God who sees the very thoughts and intentions of hearts. So much of what we hold up today is, wow, that's just so amazing. Right? God is going to say, no, that, that means nothing to me, Right? And, uh, and, and again, as I said before, in the American way, the America, we, we've been taught that a crowd means something good is happening. Jesus did just the opposite. He knew there was a danger in a crowd. Mob mentality. People could hide their heart behind just attending. Jesus was always calling people out of the crowd into what? Small group of accountability, of discipleship, and of going for the kingdom, Right? That's the course of his ministry, right? So I, uh, I commend these verses to you. Um, we'll tag back to all this. And uh, again, as I say, we're going to be here just, man, if you've got questions, you're like, wow, you know, come tonight. We'll bat this around. Um, or let us know anytime. We'll talk. 
The key thing is that God has a great purpose for your life. And what I want to tell you this morning is that purpose for your life is so much more, so radically beyond what you ever have imagined. I just want to open that up a little bit. Just want you to start living for the kingdom, living with the, the gifts and the realm of knowledge of what God has for you is so much bigger than what we'd ever, ever imagined. Those are the things, right, that we need to seek and encourage each other, right, to, to seek for. So, Father, thank you, Lord, for this morning and your word. And, Lord, uh, I know just even as I teach this, Lord, that, um, wow, this is, it's it, it some ways is foreign in, in our culture today, even in the culture of the church. And, Lord, I just pray you'd forgive us for that. Let's be people of your word, God. Let's be people of your spirit, Lord. Be spirit people. It's a new life. It's a new birth. It's a new view. It's a new hope. Father, let us be a church that's faithful, Lord. Faithful to you. Faithful to your kingdom. Faithful in this training for reigning, Lord. Faithful in loving people. Faithful to your great commission, Lord, to take the good news of Jesus, the message of grace, to people's hearts. To people's hearts. Especially in this time, Lord, people are just scared, fearful, uncertain. Lord, there's only one anchor for the soul. It's you, Jesus. It's you. Thank you for listening to this message. To hear other messages or learn more about Crossroads Church, visit our website at ccaspen.com.